0: Thanks for listening to the Rock Hill Podcast. At Rock Hill, we're all about reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Listen in as Pastor Matt Chappell teaches how God's Word applies to our everyday lives. And I'm looking forward to getting into our message today. We are in week number three of our series called Rhythms. Rhythms. And uh, we've been talking about what it looks like to function at a healthy rhythm in life and uh, what is a healthy rhythm for our soul. And uh, we've been looking at the Garden of Eden and what God established there, setting a precedent, setting a priority, and an example of what a healthy soul should look like. And uh, we've talked about several different things already in this series. We've talked about rest. How many of you enjoy rest? Anybody like that? Okay. Did anybody get any rest last night with the time change? Congratulations for being here, by the way. You made it on Time Change Sunday. And we talked about why it's important to rest. Ultimately, the reason why we rest is because we are relying on God, not on self. We don't have to go through life so busy and I got to figure everything out and I got to take care of my business and I got to do this. I got to no, know we need to trust God. We can rest and trust that he is in control. And then last week we talked about. Responsibility. How many of you are here last week? Can I see your hands? Uh, last week we talked about the, the responsibility that God gave Adam in the garden to keep it and to, and to till the ground and, and uh, to dress it. And so we talked about the importance of work and that God uh, has given us work not to be a curse, but to be a blessing. And how often do we have the wrong perspective about work? So often we think, man, I got to do this job just because I got to keep a job and make money. But one day I'm not going to have a job. But in all actuality, the Bible says that that work is a blessing. And Jesus says, hey, I've given you responsibility to be a good thing. And so we've talked about the rhythms of rest, of responsibility. And this week we're going to talk about the third rhythm, and that is the rhythm of restraint. Restraint. And it's a good thing to say no from time to time. And today I want to preach to this subject. A necessary no. A necessary no. And so uh, you can go and find a seat this morning. Look to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here today. Look to your other neighbor and say, I guess you too. Genesis chapter number two is where we're going to be today. Genesis two and Genesis three. I'm gonna start reading in chapter 2, verse number 16. If you're there, would you say amen? Amen. If you're not there, in a minute, we should have most of the verses on the screen this morning so you can follow along. The Bible says this in verse number 16 of Genesis chapter number two, here in the garden. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree, everybody say, "every Every tree. Every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree Of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Then go ahead and look over to chapter number three, if you would, of Genesis. Genesis chapter three, verse number one. It says this, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us, and God, thank you for this opportunity to come together and to worship you and to study and learn from your word. And God, thank you for the work that you did. In our first service, God, thank you for uh, the souls that were saved in our first service. And God, we just want to give you uh, praise and glory for that. And God, we're praying that you would do something special in our midst uh, here in the next few minutes, that uh, your word would penetrate our hearts, that you would speak to us in a great and powerful way. God, I pray that this morning we would not just simply be hearers of the word, but I pray that we would be doers of the word. And I pray that we can leave this place with a better understanding of how to function at a healthy rhythm in life. And God, I pray that uh, we can apply these truths to our heart today. We love you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. How many of you have ever wanted something? that you just couldn't have. Can I see your hands? You wanted something, but you just couldn't have it. And uh, this year, I started out the year trying to eat healthy. And I thought that I was going to uh, count my calories and eat a little bit healthier than I had been eating. And uh, it started really with uh, the Daniel fast that we did at the beginning of the year. We wanted to uh, kick off the year with the Daniel fast and really uh, promote that time uh, to give uh, a time and honor to the Lord and deny ourselves to, to pray and ask God to give us a great 2020. And uh, I learned, though, As soon as you decide uh, that you're going to try to start eating a little bit healthier. It seems like every unhealthy food option is always readily available, like right in front of you. You know what I mean? And so uh, it seems like right when we decided to start eating healthy, there was a Raising Cane's that was put by my house, and I was like, this is going to be a real struggle because Raising Cane's just might be the Lord's chicken, not actually Chick-fil-A. But I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll have to see about that. And, uh, and, and so it seems like anytime you try to eat healthy, there's always, uh, there's always uh, uh, something that's standing in the way, right? It's not an easy process. And uh, Katie and I, we were eating with some family. Uh, towards the beginning of the year, and uh, we were out to eat, and we were at a restaurant, and they all ordered this giant chocolate cake, and it was like chocolate cake with ice cream, and Kate and I were just looking at each other like, this is, you know, this is not good, and uh, we really wanted some of that, but we were like, nope, uh, we're not going to partake, and Katie looked at me and said, but good news, on the menu there is breadfruit. We're allowed to have breadfruit. And I was like, what in the world is breadfruit, you know? And I thought, uh, well, I like bread and I like fruit. Maybe this would be a good combination. Let me tell you, it's not a good combination, okay? Uh, Breadfruit is not very good. In my estimation, it tasted like a bar of soap, and uh, uh, it was not very, uh, very good. But it was difficult to see everyone else eating chocolate cake when we were eating uh, breadfruit. The other night, Katie was uh, out of the house, and I was watching our kids And uh, I asked my son, Luke, I said, Luke, what would you like for dinner? And uh, he said, "Uh, can I have some ice cream with sugar on top? And uh, I was like, Luke, you can't put sugar on top of ice cream. It just doesn't work that way. And uh, I learned in life that uh, the ability to practice restraint is not always an easy thing. The ability to say no to something sometimes is is difficult for us to come to. And the Bible talks about this. James, uh, the pastor at Jerusalem, he talked about this in James chapter number four uh, when he said this. He said, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not thence even of your lust that war in your members? Ye lust and ye have not. Ye kill and you desire to have. Everybody say Desire. And so often we desire something and, and we desire to have something. And the next part of the verse says, and we cannot obtain. And how frustrating is that so often in life when we want something and, and we're trying to get something, but it just seems like we can't get it or we're not supposed to have it. And so there's this tension between what we desire and what we can actually obtain. Now, this is innate uh, to human nature. We, we often have these desires of things that we should not or cannot Have And this goes all the way back to the garden in Genesis chapter number 2. All the way back at the beginning of the Bible, we see in the garden that that human nature has had this urge and this uh, desire to have something that we should not have. And this is centered around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. How many of you are familiar with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Anybody like that? And uh, we see this in chapter number 2 in verses 16 and 17 where the Bible says this, in chapter 2, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou uh, eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And so God, God commands Adam and Eve, and he says, Hey, uh, you are not to eat of this uh, tree. You are not to partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But what's interesting is that uh, God does not give a particular reason why. Uh, they should not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And uh, how many of you parents know that sometimes you will tell your kids to do something, and they'll ask why, and you'll say, because I said so. And uh, how many of you know that is a sufficient answer for parents to give, right? It's like, hey, I don't need to take the time to explain it to you. And uh, even if I did take the time to explain it to you, it doesn't really matter, because I'm the parent, I said so, and what I say goes, right? And so uh, God says uh, not to partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he's saying that because he's saying, hey, I am God and you are not. And I want you to uh, freely choose to obey me because I am in charge. I am sovereign. I am in control and you are not. But God also knows that there is a good thing about restraint, about not being able to partake in whatever we want. In fact, all throughout scripture, we see this principle that limitation is actually a good thing. That limitation is the pathway to liberation. If you want to walk in freedom in life, you have to learn to say no to something so that you can say yes to the better things. And so God knew in his sovereignty that, hey, uh, uh, there, there needs to be uh, some restraint here. Now, also, if you think about it, you think, you know, uh, why would God put this tree in the garden in the first place? Like, like wouldn't it have been easier if God just didn't include the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? How many of you think, man, uh, uh, why did God even put that there uh, in the first place? Well, uh, really, uh, if we lose that tree, we lose our definition of love. Because God wants to, uh, God wants us to choo- uh, to choose Him freely out of love. And if you if you lose uh, choice, you lose love. Force love is no longer love, right? And so God says, "I want you to be able to choose Me freely. Choose between good and evil uh, in and of yourselves." God did not want us to be mechanical beings. He wanted us to be moral beings, and He wanted to, us to come to Him in and of our own will. And so he says, here's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so it's reminding us that 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 he is God and we are not so that we can choose him freely and uh, that we can choose to love him uh, freely. And so we see God puts this uh, tree uh, in the midst of the garden and he's, he's He's challenging them to walk in restraint. Now, we understand that restraint is a good thing uh, when it comes to many areas of life. Like, like we know this uh, in many areas. The other day, I took my son uh, Luke, and we went to Disneyland. And uh, uh, my son Luke, he loves to ride all rides at Disneyland. It doesn't matter if they're big rides, little rides, he, he, roller coasters. He loves Space Mountain. He loves it all. And uh, uh, this was the first time uh, that we went that he was tall enough to ride the Matterhorn. Anybody been on the, the Matterhorn ride at <laughs> uh, at Disneyland? And uh, and uh, here's Luke on the Matterhorn and uh, he was excited. Uh, but this was the first time that we rode a roller coaster where I couldn't sit directly next to Luke. Usually, if you ride a roller coaster, I'm like, sit next to him. And I'll kind of hold on to him tight uh, just to make sure that he's doing okay. But this time, uh, I had to sit behind him because it was only a single uh, seat situation. And uh, I was not uh, that worried, though, because he had some restraint. He had a seat belt. He had a lap bar. He had a harness that was there that was going to protect him and keep him inside of the roller coaster. H- how foolish would it be for me as his father as they were coming down and checking, making sure all the lap bars were tight? How foolish would it be be for me to say, oh, uh, no, he's good. I'm just going to let him decide if he wants to have that bar or not. You know, I'm just trying to let him make his own choices. So just kind of let him decide. If he wants it, great. If he doesn't want it, uh, no problem at all. No, I understand. Hey, I want him to have that restraint there because where there is restraint, there is safety. Where there is restraint, there is protection. And so I'm going to welcome that restraint in his life. And I just want to encourage you today uh, that where there is limitation in our lives, there will be liberation. When we learn to say no to some things, God will open doors of opportunity to us that we otherwise would not be able to walk through. And so we have to understand that there is freedom in restraint. Uh, Jesus said this in Luke chapter 9 verse number 23, and he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Everybody say deny himself. Deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And so uh, Jesus said, Hey, if you're going to be my follower, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to learn to deny self. Sometimes denying self can be a simple thing. Sometimes denying self could be, I'm not going to eat two bowls of ice cream. I'm just going to eat one. Uh, but sometimes denying self can be a very serious thing where you are avoiding uh, fornication or you are saying no to drunkenness or you're saying no to pornography and you're saying no to temptation. You're saying no to sin and you are denying your flesh. You're denying uh, that temptation. Denying self. And this is the process in which Jesus calls us uh, to walk in. James Boyce, he's an author, he talks about this tree, the knowledge of good and evil, and he says, The presence of this tree would have reminded Adam that he was not his own God and that he was responsible at all times to his maker. This was a reminder God is in control and we are not. I read a story this week, uh, this this, this past week, uh, there was a man in Kentucky. And uh, he uh, decided that he wanted to have his license plate say, I'm God. And uh, he wanted to have his license plate say, "say I'm God. And his name was Ben Hart. And uh, the license plate, uh, they denied him. They said, no, you can't have this. Uh, you can't have this license plate. So then he got upset and he sued the state of Kentucky. And he said, I want to have uh, this, this license plate. And so he ended up winning the lawsuit. The state of Kentucky had to pay him $150,000 so that he could drive around claiming to be God. I just want to remind you what the Bible says this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 6. But to us, there is but one God. There is one God. Can I just encourage you? We do not worship a plurality of gods. We do not worship self as God. There is one God. Uh, his name is Jesus Christ. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There is one God, and so God says, hey, I'm reminding you that I'm in control, that I am the one true God, and so we must submit to his will. And so God, in the garden, he establishes this rhythm of restraint. He establishes this necessary no, the ability to deny self. And we see what happens in Genesis chapter number three, and of course, uh, Adam and Eve, uh, they go and they mess things up, right? They kind of drop the ball on this whole restraint thing. And uh, So I want to look this morning at Genesis chapter 3 and kind of uh, uh, learn how we can uh, walk in restraint and ultimately walk in freedom. And so I I believe that Genesis chapter number 3 is a great example to us on how we can walk in restraint. Are you ready this morning? Let me give you four ways that we can walk in restraint and in so doing walk in freedom. Number one, you have to take God at his word. Take God at his word. In verse number 1 it says this. Of Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent, everybody say the serpent. the serpent. The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God hath made. And so uh, this serpent, uh, who, who is the Bible talking about here? The serpent that is subtle in the field. Well if you look to the very last book of the Bible, this is the first book of the Bible, the very last book of the Bible, Revelation says in Revelation chapter 12 verse number 9, and the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth. And so uh, what we learn is that this serpent is Satan. This serpent is uh, the devil. And so the devil is coming and he's already trying to, uh, to trip up Eve and to trip up Adam. And so the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God hath made. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said. And here's the first temptation that Eve faces. And it's the temptation to doubt God's word. Did God really say this? Hey, 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 Eve, hath God really said that you can't eat of that tree? Did God really say that? And so what we see here is that there's this questioning of God's word. And ever since then, ever since Genesis chapter 3, uh, there has been a questioning and a doubting of the word of God. Did, did God really say that? Does God really mean that? Yeah, hath God said, and we see two things taking place here. First, uh, there is a uh, bending of God's truth. There, there, there's a bending of God's truth because notice what it says in verse number 2. It says, the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now here, Eve misquotes God, because God didn't say you can't touch it. Uh, God just says, you can't eat of it or you're going to die. And she says, neither shall ye touch it. And so what we see is Eve is bending God's truth. She's taking what God said and twisting it just a little bit, just very subtly, and changing it to what uh, she thinks God was saying. And by the way, that is what is happening all over churches in America and all amongst Christians where we are just twisting God's truth and we are bending God's truth to make it fit what we want the Word of God to say. Rather than submitting to the Word of God, we're trying to take a verse out of context and say, well, I think it means this, and for me it means this, no, if God said it, we ought to trust it and take him at his word for it. And so we are taking things that aren't scripture and we're elevating to the platform of scripture. And a lot of times we say little phrases and we act as though they are Bible when in fact they are not Bible, right? There's many phrases like this, like people will say, well, you know what the Bible says, cleanliness is next to godliness. The Bible does not say that. Uh, you know, people say, well, God helps those who help themselves. The Bible does not say that. Um, perhaps a common one that many people uh, believe is that, well, God's not going to give you more than you can handle. God's not going to give you more. That's not true. Many times God gives you more than you can handle, but he'll never give you more than he can handle because he wants you to rely on him and him alone. And so we have to be very careful that when we approach the word of God, that we're not trying to put our idea into the text, but that we're pulling God's idea out of the text. And there's a big difference. And so what we see here is that Eve is is bending God's truth. And, And she's saying, he said we can't even touch it, but God never said that. I want to remind you that the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 30, verse number five, every word of God, everybody say every word. Every word of God is pure. He's a shield unto them that put their trust in him. And so we have to remember that the words of God are pure. Every word of God is pure. So uh, there's, a, there's a bending of God's truth. But then I want you to see there's also a belittling of God's truth. If you're with me, would you say amen? amen. There's a belittling of God's truth. Because notice what it says in verse number four. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, Satan says, you're not going to die. Uh, don't be dramatic, Eve. That, that's not what God actually means. Hey, you're not going to die. Don't, uh, don't take this out of context. and don't, uh, No, Eve, you're not going to actually die. And there's a belittling of God's truth. God didn't really mean that. God didn't really say that, Eve. Don't be dramatic. Well, that's exactly what God said, and that's exactly what God meant. Because the Bible still says in Romans chapter 6, verse number 23, for the wages of sin is death. But there is good news. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so we live in a culture and a time where where we want to question God's word and belittle God's word and act like it's not that important, or we want to twist God's word to make it fit our agenda, and we're searching for what is true. I read uh, just a couple of weeks ago, there's a man named Mike Hughes, and uh, he's kind of a daredevil type of person, and uh, uh, his name was Mad Mike. Anybody ever heard of Mad Mike, Mike Hughes? And uh, just a couple of weeks ago, he... uh, uh, he decided to build a rocket, and he wanted to, to, to build his own homemade rocket and fly out into space. 64-year-old man, and he ended up taking his own rocket, and it exploded upon takeoff, and he lost his life. But he said this, he said this statement uh, in a video that he posted before launch. He said, I don't want to take anyone else's word for it. I don't want to take anyone else's word for it. I don't know if the world is flat or round. He said, I, don't, I can't take someone else's word for it. What he was doing was he was desperately searching for truth. I can't trust you. I don't know what you're saying. I, I'm not going to take what the textbooks tell me. I, I got to find out for myself. I have to search for the truth. And I just want to tell you today that people all over the world are searching for answers and they're searching for truth. And I just want to tell us as the church, we have the truth. We have the unchanging truth, the written truth of God's word. Hey, if God said it, we can trust it. We don't need to go searching for some experience or some uh, secondary thing. No, we have the word of God. The, this is the word of life that we have and so we can't like Eve start to twist God's word or bend God's word or doubt God's word uh, because if if the devil can get you to start uh, doubting God's word then you will eventually deny God's word and so the devil starts and says hath God said And so, number one, if we're going to walk in a rhythm of restraint, we have to take God at his word. If God said it, we have to trust it. Uh, Matthew 4, 4 says, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And so we have to take God at his word. Number two, here's the second thought this morning. Number two, be satisfied with what you already have. How how can we walk in restraint and, and ultimately walk in freedom? Well, you have to be satisfied with what you already have. See, notice verse number five. It says this For God doth know in the day that eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And here was this lie from the devil that, hey, uh, your life isn't good enough right now, Eve. You shouldn't be satisfied with where you are. Your life could be so much better. And there was this dissatisfaction and discontent that was welling up in the heart of Eve, and now Satan is tempting. Hey, it could be so much better than this. Clement of Alexandria said this, dying to ourselves means being content with the necessities of life. When we want more than these necessities, it is easy to sin. And so, so often we are trapped in this state of dissatisfaction. And I believe there's two elements in regards to uh, their satisfaction here in the garden the first element is uh, the blessing that eve forgot i want you to see the blessing that Eve forgot because in chapter 2 verse 16 uh, notice this blessing that they had chapter 2 verse 16 it says this and of the and the lord god commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat and so long before there was prohibition there was permission long before there was restriction there was freedom hey out of all these trees you can eat can i just tell you the odds were stacked in their favor God was blessing them. Hey, you can enjoy all the wonderful attributes of the garden. You can, you can enjoy this beautiful paradise that I have created for you. That They lived in the perfect environment, but Satan told Eve, it's not enough. What happens when you have everything, but everything's not enough? Because here's Adam and Eve. They're living in the garden. They, they could have all of these things to enjoy, but it just wasn't enough for their satisfaction. Psalm 34, verse number 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Everybody say Good. Aren't you thankful that the God that we worship is a good God? He is a great God. He loves us, wants the best for us. Uh, blessed is the man that, that trusts in him. And so we see that this was the blessing that Eve forgot. How often do we forget the blessings that God has given us? And how often do we go through life and we ignore all of the wonderful things that God has placed in our path? And so we see the blessing that Eve forgot. But I want you to see, secondly, the bait that Eve took. I want you to see the bait uh, that Eve took because uh, the enemy here comes and presents two lies. The first one is this in verse number five. The first lie is uh, you could have more. For God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. Hey, you could have more. You could have more understanding. You could have more than this. I know you have a lot, Eve, but just imagine what your life would be like if you had more than this. What if you had more money and more happiness and more, and and that was the lie. Hey, you could have more, but the second lie was this in verse 5, and ye shall be as God. So the second lie was not just, hey, you can have more. The second lie was you could be more. You you could be omniscient. You can be omnipotent. You can be uh, like a God. Imagine how much better your life could be, Eve. C.S. Lewis said this, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Please, and so often we are searching for satisfaction in life and we're looking in all the wrong places and we have no idea all the wonderful realities that God has planned for us. Hey, God wants to give you a great future and great blessing and so we ought to stop looking for satisfaction and contentment and all that the world has to offer but find it in the truth of God's word and find it in a relationship with Jesus and Jesus alone. Please hear me, contentment is not based on a condition contentment is not a condition contentment is a choice because think about the most perfect environment if everything was going your way and all your prayers were answered and everything was just perfect that was even the garden it was paradise it was perfection but there wasn't contentment and so it does not matter what your condition is it doesn't matter how much you have Uh, contentment is not a condition it is a choice And if you want to walk in a healthy rhythm and you want to practice restraint, you have to learn to be satisfied with what God has already given you. This leads us to our third thought. Number three, we have to pay attention to the enemy's playbook. Pay attention to the enemy's playbook. I read a book this past summer about a Navy SEAL, and uh, he was talking about Bud's training and the SEAL uh, training and how intense it was and how there's hell week and how it's just uh, unbearable pain and running miles and miles and miles and push-ups and push-ups. And And uh, he said, man, some of the worst part about Navy SEAL training is just not even knowing what was going to come next, right? You didn't know in the middle of the night if they're going to wake you up. And And so what he said was some of the Navy SEALs that were in his group, uh, actually the night before uh, one of the next uh, intensive days of training, they went into one of the instructor's. Office, uh, offices and they, they stole the schedule for the next day. And uh, they stole the schedule and they thought, hey, if we can just know what's coming up, we'll know how many miles we have to run and how many push-ups we have to do. And they just thought having this information is really going to be beneficial for us. And so they took that information and it was an advantage. And what I want to tell you today is that we have the advantage when it comes to temptation, because we have the enemy's playbook. We know how the enemy works and operates it God tells us in his word. He says, hey, you want to get victory over temptation? You want to get victory over sin? You want to practice restraint? You can say no to temptation. You can get victory. But we have to know how the enemy works and operates. And we see uh, it all take place here in Genesis chapter number 3. And really it boils down to verse number 6. All of the temptation of life is boiled down in verse number 6. Do you want to see it today? Notice verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food... That was lust of the flesh. Good for food. And that it was pleasant to the eyes. That's the lust of the eyes. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. That's the pride of life. And there's the three ways in which the devil works and operates to tempt us and to trap us. It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We know this in 1 John 2.16 where it says this, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father but is of God. The world. And so this is how the devil works and operates. First, it's the lust of the flesh. That's what you desire. It's wanting more. It's having this. It's something that feels good. We're seeking after pleasure. We're seeking after comfort. We're seeking after ease, what feels good to our flesh. But Galatians says this, this I say, then walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so we are committed not to, not, not to uh, give in and say yes to the flesh. We're to say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. And we can walk in spiritual victory. And then the lust of the eyes. We know all throughout scripture, the Bible commands us and instructs us and warns us on what we look at. Because what you look at uh, will determine the destiny of your life. And so we are to guard uh, what we see. The Bible says in Job 31, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? Job said, I'm not messing around with this. I'm not even going to look at it. I'm not even going to commit adultery in my heart. I want to guard my eyes. I want to guard what I see and protect what I'm allowing to infiltrate my mind and my heart. And so I'm going to put a barrier there. I'm going to guard what I see. The Bible says this in Proverbs 23, verse number 31, look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright." And so what, what, what the author there of Proverbs is saying is, hey, uh, if you're going to be tempted to drink alcohol, and if this is going to be a struggle, then don't even look at the wine when it's in the cup. Don't even watch it. Don't even uh, give your eyes the glance in that direction. Hey, uh, you have to guard what you see. This is the lust of the eyes. And so often the reason why we give in to temptation that leads to devastation and destruction is because first we haven't put that guard and filter in what we see. Here Eve is like, that fruit doesn't look so bad. It actually looks pretty good. It's right in the middle of the garden. Everything else looks amazing, and that tree looks pretty. It was, it was what she saw. And so she saw that it was good for food. That was the lust of the flesh. But then she saw that, that it looked pleasant to the eyes. That, 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 that is the lust of, of the eyes. But then the pride of life uh, to make one wise. And so often we fall into temptation simply because of our own pride. And pride is the, the root of all sin. And we want to be something or think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Madonna said this a few years ago. She said, I will not be happy until I am as famous as God. And that was her goal. That, that, that's her ambition. And so often we are walking around stuck in a perpetual pattern and a habitual pattern of sin because we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. But there is good news. Anybody want some good news today? Yeah because uh, Paul knew all about the temptations and Paul knew all about uh, the struggle with sin and he says this in Romans chapter 7 and I think it's so encouraging uh, Paul says this in Romans 7 he says oh wretched man that I am Paul was frustrated have you ever been frustrated with yourself Paul said, man, I'm trying to do right. I'm trying to get victory. I'm trying to defeat the lust of the eyes and lust of the flesh and the pride of life. And I'm trying to stay on this path. And it seems like all the things that I want to do, I'm not doing those things. And the things I don't want to do, that's what I'm doing. And Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am, he's frustrated. And then he says this, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He asks a great question. He says, I've tried in my own strength and I've failed. I've tried to be strong and I failed. I've tried to do everything that I'm supposed to do and I've, I, I, I've gotten some counsel and I've done all these different things and I failed. And so he says, I, I recognize that if I'm gonna get victory in this, I need a deliverer. I need a savior. I can't do it on my own. If I'm going to get victory, someone has to step in and save me and be a deliverer. And he says this, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Can I tell you that Jesus is our deliverer and that Jesus is our savior. And come on, anybody thankful today that Jesus has our victory and we can defeat sin. We can defeat temptation. We can defeat the pride of life. We can do that through Jesus Christ walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh and so today if you feel like man i just can't get victory i've just been in sin and i've been in sin i've been trying i just keep on failing i'm always going to be in sin i'm always going to be defeated no the bible says in romans chapter 6 sin shall not have dominion over me sin is not your master you can worship the king of kings and the lord of lords and he will give you the victory that you desire and so today we have to understand how the enemy works we have to recognize his playbook It's always going to be the lust of something that we want, the lust of the flesh, something that we see, or the pride of life, but we can get victory over these things. By the way, if you don't want to eat of the forbidden fruit, don't go by the forbidden tree. The Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 4 avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away. How clear was he making it? Hey, if you're tempted, run the other direction. Some battles you win by fighting. Some battles you win by running. In the battle of temptation, you win by running. You, you, get, you go the other direction. Avoid it. Pass not by it. And so we see we have to recognize the enemy's playbook. And this leads us to our last thought this morning. Number four. Do you have one more in you today? Yeah. Number four. Consider the collateral of your choices. Consider the collateral. A lot of times the reason why we habitually sin and the reason we can't practice restraint is because we think, well, this isn't really affecting anyone else but me. And if I'm struggling with a sin, if I'm dealing with it, this is kind of like my private thing. It's my private sin. It's my issue. It's my battle. And it doesn't really uh, matter because it's not affecting anyone else. But that's just not true. The Bible says in Romans 7, no man lives to himself. No man dies to himself. We do not have the luxury to just make decisions that don't affect other people. There's always going to be collateral. So watch what happens. And she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. She didn't practice restraint. She gave in to temptation. And gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So, so because Eve sinned, now we have Adam sinning. And the Bible says, because of Adam, because of this, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. Consider the collateral. One decision affected all of humanity, and now we are all born with a sinful nature. And there's a major problem now, because we all struggle with sin that we can't get victory over. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. You have to consider the collateral of your choices. Who are your decisions affecting? Sometimes we don't even know. I read an interesting story about Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War. And uh, he was really upset there was these army contractors that were, that were charging them too much and that they were trying to rip the government off and charging way too much money. And they were, they were losing money. And so Abraham Lincoln was really upset with these guys. And his secretary of state, William Seward, decided to write a letter to them to let them know of their disgust for them. And so William Seward, the secretary of state, wrote this letter. And it was a scathing letter. It was a hateful letter. He said, it, let them have it, essentially. And he came to President Abraham Lincoln and he says, here, I wrote this letter. And he read it to him. And Abraham Lincoln responded, it's not half harsh enough go back and just write something harsher, write something more mean. And so William Seward kind of was like, all right, took the challenge on. He went back, started writing this rage-filled letter and uh, he, he, just, he just let him have it in this second letter, even 10 times more angry. Then he came back and Abraham Lincoln said, now that's more like it. And William Seward was pretty excited about that. He's like, all right, I'm gonna go drop this in the mail. And he said, no, 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 no. Don't put it in the mail, go put it in the fire. He understood that if he wanted to win the war, he couldn't afford to make new enemies. He said, even though it would have felt really good to send that letter, I know that's not what's best. So go put it in the fire. And what we see is that he practiced self-restraint because he didn't want the collateral to spread further than he could control. So he said, I'm I'm gonna gonna have some self-control. I'm gonna have some restraint here. I wanna encourage you today. Consider the collateral. Think about those coming behind you. Think about your church. Think about your small group. Think about your family. I love what the Bible says in Romans chapter five, verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Who is that one man? Adam. One man's disobedience, many were made sinners. But watch this so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous and that verse is talking about the second adam the one who is to come jesus christ and by him we can have righteousness and through him we can have a righteousness imputed to our account so that we can have a holy standing with the righteous god in jesus there is salvation and so there is good news if there's anyone that we can learn this principle of restraint from it's jesus if anyone practiced self-control it was jesus The Bible says in Hebrews chapter four, for if we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are and yet he was without sin. He lived a perfectly sinless life. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 2:23, who when he was reviled, he reviled not again. Jesus did not retaliate. He did not try to get back and get even. No. Uh, he took a step back and practiced self-control. In fact, he was so submissive to the will of the Father that the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 verse number 8, and being found in fashion as a man, speaking of Jesus, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He did it for you and he did it for me. See, I want encourage you today Jesus said no to sin and Jesus said no to temptation and he said no to retaliation and he said no to the temporary why so that he would say yes to the cross and yes to the resurrection why so that we could say yes to heaven and we could say yes to Jesus and experience the life-giving and the life-changing message of Jesus Christ is anybody thankful today for what Jesus did for us on the cross hey he said no so that we could say yes to him That's something that we ought to be thankful for. Hey, we can practice restraint because we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted just like we are yet what he was without sin. Let me encourage you today. Learn to walk in a rhythm of restraint. Learn to say no so that you can say yes to the best things and you can say yes to what Jesus has for you. I want to read one final verse and we'll be done today. You can join me in standing. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The devil might have won the battle there in the garden, and you fell. But there is good news in verse number 15 of Genesis chapter 3. In fact, it's the first mention of the gospel in all of Scripture. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. And there is hope for us. Because it says this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Now, 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 please hear me and pay attention to this verse because it's so paramount. God is speaking to the serpent. Everybody got it? God is speaking to the serpent. He says this, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman. He says, we're going to war. And between thy seed and her seed. And the her seed there is speaking of someone that is to come. Someone that is to come that will get the final victory. Her seed is a reference to Jesus Christ. There is one coming from her seed that will guarantee the victory. It shall bruise thy head. Speaking of the death and resurrection of Jesus and thou shalt bruise his heel. Yes, you're going to bruise his heel. Speaking of the crucifixion, it's going to look like you won. But then on the third day there will be a resurrection where he will bruise your head. Hey, you can come back from a heel injury, but you can't come back from a head injury. And God is declaring to Satan, hey, you are already defeated. I just want you to know that you might have some temporary control. But in the end, I am sovereign. I am in control. And the victory is secured. And so today we can walk from a position of victory, not because of our own strength, but because of what Jesus did for us on the cross because he defeated death and sin and the grave. And so because of that example, we too can practice restraint and walk in the freedom that God has for us today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Thanks again for listening today. If this message was an encouragement to you, let us know. You can email us at hello at rockhill.church and keep up with all the latest news at Rockhill or on Instagram at Rockhill Church.